Welcome back to the Anxious Millennial Podcast. I am your one and only host, Alexandra. So one year into this pandemic, how are you coming in? I'm coming in feeling pretty energized today, actually. I owe that to my very special guest, Moran Elrar. More on this wonderful human in just a minute. I deeply felt that the timing was appropriate a year into this pandemic and a year into this podcast to express my gratitude, my gratitude for all my guests and listeners for allowing me to accompany you and I hope comfort you during this very strange time. Oh yes, the past year has definitely delivered really incredible highs and lows. Between all of that mess, I saw opportunity. I wanted to create a podcast in a space where I could rekindle that sense of connection and community, where I felt it had been robbed from me, robbed from us all. And boy, did it deliver. And so on the tone of gratitude, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Moran, if you don't know her already, that is. Mo and I met in the most unlikely way. Yes, a Zoom classroom. We bonded over our mutual love of coaching. Mo's fierceness is offset by her warmth, an undoubtable force of nature. She is a founder, coach, mentor, and mom of three. As accomplished as Mo is, she remains artfully humble. She makes it known that your presence is important to her. She listens actively. She's right there with you and has this incredible gift of holding safe space. Her words to live by are strong back, soft front, wild heart by none other than Brene Brown. This holy trinity, Mo says, has been her driving force in her entrepreneurship journey. And so, it is my pleasure and privilege to welcome my new friend, Moran, to the Anxious Millennial Podcast. Mo, welcome to the show. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You you really jumped into my nickname quick, and I, and I felt comfortable. We had that connection right away, so... You know what's interesting is a lot of people ask for permissions to use a nickname. I never do that. I feel that the asking permission is probably an important step. Good point. Is that bad? No, but maybe because you're just, you have a really open, safe energy. So you're not intruding. Well, speaking of which, let's be honest. You have a beautiful, full home of energy and love. And a full house is honestly the goal I think for all of us right now because there's a striking alarming amount of loneliness happening in the world Mm. we'll cover that but as a busy woman and someone whose time is immensely precious I'm gonna jump right in and ask you what is your word for 2021 and why um I I was saying earlier I love this question because it makes me re-reflect on my word of the year and and I'm I do set that intention I'm that I'm a bit of a hippie at heart and so I always do my like new year's intention and this year for me the word was lightheartedness Hmm. just bringing a little bit more lightness to everything like stemming from letting go of that tight grip and control that we all know so well and that we all lost 
a lot of it during COVID. So it stems from that like rigid, clear, and just kind of a little more lightheartedness, not taking everything so seriously, including myself. Um, Mm. Yeah. And a little bit more playfulness around that. So it's, it's stemming onto that, but that is sort of the theme for this year. It's a very precious intention because it it's so well relays back to what we were discussing offline, you and I, before, which was the notion of airiness. Mm-hmm. It opens up space. And, and personally, there's a huge need right now for gentle, playful abundance and light where there has been none or a lack thereof. And it's such a relief to hear that kind of a word. It's not heavy. Mm, yeah, I like that. I'm I'm like going to take note of your addition to the like airiness and spaciousness that you just kind of reminded me of that comes with that lightheartedness. Well, you created that. <laughs> I'm I'm bouncing off your energy. The You're reflecting. reflecting back to me. Oh, and don't we know about the mirroring and the reflecting? Exactly. Uh, the framing and the uh, the space and the, the the space for quietness and ultimately self reflection and to that as an entrepreneur and someone who's a visionary you know I wholeheartedly admit I I have told you this uh, you're you're a mentor to me mm-hmm. I look up to you and you decided to go into business and I think I think we all would love to know why thank you that means a lot coming from you I I appreciate that and I and I also look up to you and admire you and what you're doing and um, how you just take things on like full, full head. And um, it's, it's, it's awesome to watch. Ah, thank you, Mo. So to answer your question, before we continue our love affair, I just, you know, it's funny. People often ask like, why, um, But I think for me, it was more just a question of when, like I didn't have this, I need to be an entrepreneur because I need to be my own boss or whatnot. That's some of the stories that often go with that. I started the journey pretty young and I had a baby in tow and a baby in my belly and it felt really natural for me. I grew up around a table of entrepreneurs, like a dinner table, my both my parents and my father, who's definitely um, a mentor to me. And it was like common talk around my childhood as like entrepreneurship and running a business and what it takes. And so for me, it was a natural progression. I I knew that I wanted to finish school. And then once I, I, I knew that I, or this is what I thought I had to get some real grinding work and a company, you know, learn the ropes a little bit before I went on my own, which I think is a great learning lesson, stepping stone that a lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily do. And so just having that real work experience, not like my first job at a restaurant, I mean, like actually in a company, understand the corporate world and culture and all that whole space. And then it was just like, okay, when is this going to be the right time? It was, I was pregnant with my second baby. There was a recession. It was like, there couldn't have been a better time. It was, it's better to start from the bottom is what I heard. So I was like, okay, 
now is the perfect time. And I just decided to do whatever I knew best. It wasn't even like, what do I love most? Um, it was really, okay, I know about recruitment and HR. I know that I want to start my own business. And so this is what we're going to do. Wow. I find that fascinating for so many reasons. You know, business acumen, which to me, a lot of the mentality we hear is you have it or you don't. Mm. And the amount of fostering that went in to the decision. But then on the flip side, I, I envision this leap of faith. You had all these things happening in your life and you just leapt mm-hmm. out into the unknown. What kind of energy mm-hmm. did you have to summon to do that? Yeah, I think that it um, actually... Now that you're saying it, I'm hearing you word that through. For me, it was, I was really open and risky. Like it wasn't even, I had an accumulated business acumen at that point. Sure, I'd been surrounded by intelligent people, but I was young. And, you know, I just worked in a super hustle, you know, cutthroat company. And I didn't get to see the business side of things. So that came with a lot of, learning and failures down the road, you know, while I was growing my business, but it was more just the, the riskiness that pushed me. Like, I think you have to really be open and somewhat risky by nature to start a business and to just really jump in. You know, it's, it's one thing to be a consultant or a freelancer, but to say, I'm going to grow a business and risk all that. Like it's, it's full on. you got to be, you've got to be a little risky. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that based on the past year with the levels of unpredictability and uncertainty that we've faced, do you get the sense that that riskiness that you're talking about, the unknown is going to be, not a thing of the past, but a less likely avenue for people seeking safety. Yeah, because of how much can be lost and, and the, the, the fear of, like you said, putting everything on the table. I was just having this conversation the other day with a, another entrepreneur who I admire and, and I'm, I'm working with him. I'm coaching him and working with him closely. And um, he, I, you know, he was talking about starting a new business and, I was saying how I was like, I don't have half the amount of risk or, you know, just commitment to jumping in as I did 20 years ago. Like, I don't think I, you know, so I think it comes with a bit of naivety too. And so maybe as we get more risk averse, as we get older and a little, almost a little wiser too, I think, and that, that wisdom can block that fearlessness, you know? Yes, absolutely. And to hear the alarming notion that wisdom does in fact block. And what more perfect a segue than wisdom and women. Mm-hmm. It is Women's Month. It is in fact Women's Month every month of the year. But based on what you're saying, riskiness and the avoidance of such based on the uncertainty that we're living in this pandemic, where do you think women stand in business right now? Mm-hmm. That was just one of my kids opening the door. Okay. Oh. So... <laughs> Um, interesting. Speaking of being a woman, yes, I don't know that they'd open the door if my husband was in here doing a meeting. Interesting. <laughs> it is interesting, especially in light of the subject matter and talking about women in business. This is, this is all part of the game, right? Well, maybe not because I don't even think it's because they, 
wouldn't like they don't respect I think they just don't go to him for half of the things and so that brings up this point where do women stand and now and um, I actually am pretty saddened you know like many women I think first of all pre-COVID it wasn't it wasn't equitable at all Um, definitely you know we're seeing progress and more women around the table but COVID has just you know, ruined some of that hard work and a lot of regression around where women are standing. You know, we've had to, I know there's tons of stats and how many people, how many women have, have left the workforce, but forget about even just leaving the workforce. Also just this mother load, female load of all the unaccounted for roles that we play, this extra emotional load that I have hold at home, this caretaking of parents or siblings or whatnot, all that falls on women, all the extra work around home that is now just flagrant. It's all falling on women. And so how are we going to solve that? I mean, there's a million questions around that, you know, and, and it's still going to just increase, right? We're still not even out of the woods. So I don't know how bad it's going to get, but there's not enough support systems Yes, absolutely. And the lack of support systems has led to a lot of learned helplessness because the women that have left the workforce based on the situation, COVID, the pandemic and the uncertainties have, studies have shown, had this notion of learned helplessness. So they figure, well, I'm out of the workforce. There are not the proper programs and systems in place to be able to support me to re-enter the workforce successfully. So I'm just going to go ahead and ride this out and see how long it'll take me to get back in. But I'm not comfortable getting back into a system that does not support me. So it relates back to what you're saying, which is, yes, indeed, there are not the proper programs in place to support us at the moment. And that is concerning. But I mean, I, I, I get it, you know, I, a lot of the time I get asked, you know, oh, how do you, how do you do it all? Or, you know, we've spoken about that a ton. And a lot of the times like, oh, I I admire you. You balance it all. And, you know, you, you grew a business and you did the whole successful career and scaled your business and raised some kids. And, but it wasn't really a balance. It was like a rotation of what am I compromising? Or like, Mm. it was like a rotation of what pieces am I going to drop? You know, what balls am I going to drop? It's impossible to do it all. And I think women also need to stop having that conversation and stop projecting that mantra that it is all possible because it's not the way it is right now. It's not. Unless you have two nannies, an incredible mother, some extra support, and a very equitable partner, it's just not possible. You know, we, the, the work systems are not there, you know, maternity leave, reintegration into the work is not there, the workload, the mother load, the workload at home is not equitable or fair. And so it's really just a question of what are you willing to compromise and, and how much? I mean, the paradox that jumps out is we're this far ahead yet we're this far behind the the amount of times I fell prey to this that I told you how do you do it all but I feel like men don't just don't get asked that right and even though it probably comes from a place of genuine fascination like how can you human 
men or women do this so incredibly well or draw this veneer that looks like you're juggling it so incredibly well. But I think if we're to break those stereotypes, those questions need to cease. And you're right about the notion also that women are meant to have it all, master it all, juggle everything. And that discourse too needs to change. But the the question is, how do we tackle the issue? At what level do we approach it first? Do we integrate curriculums in schools that teach gender issues early on? Do we have it trickle into the system so that maternity leaves are, as we know, different than what we've always known them as? Where do we start? Yeah, so many different levels, right? Like there's so many different support systems that need to shift, whether it's at work or at home or, you know, for in my opinion and in my experience, for it to be doable. It was doable for a while, but, you know, I, I came to a point where I just couldn't couldn't juggle it all anymore. Was it a pivotal moment that really came to a head in, in your life? Oh, yeah. It was like so physical and obvious I mean, now it's, it's nice. I can look back and say, oh, it was a pivotal moment. And in the time it was, you know, 10 years in scaling my business, scaling my family, raising kids, you know, working all hours, mothering all hours. And I think it really just, it did show up first physically for sure. Just started really just even just the first sign was being sick, you know, physically nausea, losing weight. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just go check this out. It must be something, you know, weird or random, but it just, and then it just started getting worse. And it was clearly just my body telling me to stop, you know, you can't go at this speed. Um, and the misalignment. So, you know, it, it took me a little bit to give in because, you know, feelings of overwhelm and, I would even, I, I, even a little bit of anxiety, but it's so foreign to me. I never knew what that word meant. And I was so lucky. I, I have so much compassion. I understand it, but I never knew. And I grew up never with any feelings of anxiety or um, overwhelm. And it was the first time for me. So it was like, this is foreign. And coming from a family of, you know, hardworking immigrants where you just like, okay, recognize the emotion and then move along. It was, it was hard. It was, it, there was shame for sure. Just starting to even think and, admit that, whoa, okay, I can't handle this pace and things do need to shift. Well, Mo, you bring up a really interesting point about anxiety. And I'd want to touch more on that and what you do for yourself in those moments, what you've learned based on your journey that you've just described to us. What do you do for yourself as rituals to remind yourself your well-being that you're showing up for yourself? Well, actually, I just literally got back from a tennis class. So I'm bringing that up because it's timely. It's Monday. Like I would have never in a million years allowed myself uh, time at the gym or time to work out or anything on a Monday morning. You know, that's like crucial work time or high impact client time. But coming around that whole sort of pivotal time in my life where I was in a sense of overwhelm and the fast pace and the shift that needed to happen. 
I started giving myself permission to do those things. So that's one. I mean, incorporating me time during the week is key. It can't always be in the evenings or on the weekends um, as it used to be because it doesn't um, it doesn't keep me full in my own bucket. So that's one piece of it. You know, what really actually saved me and and I say it like as if it was a religion was was meditation, mindfulness practice. You know, I was referred by a friend to this course 10 years ago or 11 years ago at um at Mindspace a clinic here in Montreal and I said, "Okay, I'm just going to go do this." You know, there's definitely like a hippie thread to me coming from the West Coast, so it wasn't a hard transition. But I said I'm going to dive in and I took this first intro to mindfulness meditation course um, and it just blew my mind. So, we know, we all know what meditation is and mindfulness and it's trendy for sure right now. And there's so many definitions and, and ways to practice. But for me, it's just the normal meditation sitting. So when I can sitting in real meditation for 10 to 30 minutes, um, but realistically sometimes that's like uh taking a mindful walk for eight minutes outside just stopping what i'm doing um and taking a minute to break reconnect recenter um and come back to whether it's work life or parenting life um so that's been a huge sort of self-care piece for me and and still is a a central part of my life. And then when I hear the like self-care piece, that really sort of sprung out two years ago when I, when I started realizing how neglectful I was to myself. But in the last year, when I hear myself saying self-care too, like in the last year over the pandemic, you know, I think it's also just the communal care that we're missing. Like it's easy to take a bath or meditate, not easy, but it's doable. It's accessible. But what I've really been missing and craving is like communal care from my mom or my sister or my friends or group of clients or whatever it may be, you know, and, and as a, I think it's really important as a woman, like we're always taking care of everybody. And then, and then now we're responsible to also take care of ourselves, but who the heck is taking care of us, you know? So I really like to just start also educating my kids and, and my friends and my close ones. How can we take care of each other too? Mm, it's so interesting to hear you say that, Mo, because it's so true. Who is in fact taking care of us? We could jump in the bath if we wanted to. We could go for the walk and we could do the meditation session. But it was so interesting, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, this notion that we all had to work out, we all had to maximize that productivity in the middle of a world health crisis. And we were all ignoring the huge pervasive void, which was the lack of connection the isolation and the loneliness, all there impeding the drive, especially women, the drive that we have to feel part of the bigger picture. It's evolutionary. We love feeling like we're part of a community. It is hardwired in who we are. Totally. And the importance of the tribe too, right? The That support system that is not built into our system, we've created through community. I heard you say your mom and your sister are huge players in your life. How important is your tribe to you, Mo, in your day-to-day? Yeah, it's. I mean, for me, it's vital, right? Just even 
going back to when we spoke about, you know, having it all, doing it all, a career, a family, you know, without my mom or my sister, it wouldn't have been sustainable, right? Or, or my close girlfriends that, you know, popped in with leftover soup or all those pieces, right? Like we all, like my mom lived in a building with her aunt upstairs and her, you know, grandmother next door or whatnot. And they weren't raising kids all alone. So now there's all these expectations to have the career, raise the kids, self-care. Like, I think, you know, we really need to come back to the community piece of it. Huge piece, a huge piece. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's important to acknowledge that this far, a year into the pandemic, it's, it's yeah. a very important acknowledgement. So on the tribe and being there for women and, and each other as friends, as family, as, as, as sisters, really, what would you give as advice to a younger generation of women, let's say, that are optimistic and cannot wait to conquer their careers and the future of this world? What would you tell them about taking more seats at the proverbial table? We just need to keep taking those seats, you know? keep taking those seats at the table, you know, whether it's at a board or, you know, asking for that promotion or, and I think it's not about, you know, what's necessarily equal, but what's equitable, like nominating or recommending our fellow female peers for those seats. It does take an extra push and it's it's for us to start taking those seats, just holding more space too. I just have to say that I love hearing you say that we just have to take the seats. I'm so mm-hmm. happy to hear that. Especially lately, Mo, there there's so many pieces and articles coming out with the whole hashtag boss babe being canceled and female founder being exed from the discourse, really, which is a huge shift in mindset. So on a personal level, I think I need time to adapt to this new mentality. It's a huge cultural shift. So I'm also feeling a push and pull because, yeah, I'm going to have to rethink all the ways that I'm having this conversation. So not that I want to lead your answer, but I'm really curious to hear your take on this discourse right now. I'm, I can't believe you just said push and pull. I literally was going to say I flip flop on that all the time. There are days and years where I say, yes, pronounce, push the female part of it. And then there's days and years where I'm like, no, there, we shouldn't be separating and making this differentiator because it's just holding us back more. But the truth is we are biologically different. We also, we need different support, you know? So just bringing it down micro to like opportunities in the workplace. Okay. It's an easy one to kind of make tangible, but you know, it isn't, there is still a huge gaps, you know, I don't need to start pulling out the stats on the salary, what difference and whatnot, but women need different support to, to be able to get that promotion, to be able to reintegrate after maternity leave. We don't have all of those, you know, equitable situations where we can be at the same playing field. So like you said, it, it's push and pull there. I, I'm not always in the same stance on whether we define this as a, you know, female founder or just a founder. I grew up, you know, in a household where there was no gender stereotypes necessarily, or 
um, you know, clear differentiators between what a, a woman or a man or a girl or a boy could do. I think I was lucky to have had that upbringing, at least, you know, obviously socially and, and, and from school and growing up, all those things infiltrated. But in my house, in my home, around the table, where we so often hung out with lots of food around the table, you know, my parents were never limiting to either one of us um, on what we could do or what we couldn't do. And there was no even, there wasn't even a talk or speak of gender you know, female, man, male, later, you know, my father was an entrepreneur. And so lots of conversations around entrepreneurship and, and that lifestyle, but everything felt accessible um, to us. Mm. So I know that's a gift, a huge gift. I'm grateful for that, for sure. To hear you say that accessibility was something that was so openly discussed around a table the impact and the importance of that is immense. And I'll tell you why, in my humble opinion, of course. So we're both of a Mediterranean background. Mm -hmm. I think there's a notion that that kind of upbringing culturally has historically lent itself to much more traditional gender roles in the home. And, you know, I think... I bring this up not to overgeneralize, it's just anecdotal evidence. And I do believe, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that to be able to challenge and sustain long-term change, you have to understand customs and conventions and community values. So speaking of gender roles in the home, how have you been able to delineate work and home and set those boundaries for yourself during this pandemic? Uh, it's wild. I thought maybe painting my office wall blue would, <laughs> you know, set the boundaries, but um, it hasn't. I am struggling with that. I And, you know, and I, like you said, women now have to be working from home, most of them, some who have the flexibility of remote work, but also still taking care of most of the home load. And I see it with all my clients, too. I mean, there is no end to the day. They are waking up and going down to their office and working. And, you know, female or male, they're, if they're at home, the difference is just the extra home load, workload that women are carrying to maintain the house, for sure, weighs in on them. I mean, even just for me, right, my kids are like everyone I have. I have kids with like everyone who has children at school. There's been weeks where at least one of my kids is home all week long in the last six months, someone's class is closed or whatnot. Um, so it's on me to have those interruptions, to have that entertainment, to have that, you know, meal planning um, all day long. And it's, it's hard to even start having those conversations. And then you start, everything is so flagrant now. All of a sudden it's like, everything is surfacing. Wow. This is all, this was all on me this whole time, but now it's just obvious. So having those conversations with, you know, my partner is, it's been hard, but they have to be had because it's, it's too heavy. So starting to split that care and work, you know, it's a work in progress. Wait, there's something Mo that you just brought up. Yeah. And it's meal, meal planning and prepping. <laughs> you know, I stalk your Instagram for all the best recipes possible. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up because <laughs> it's like, it's, 
it's actually my therapy. Oh yeah. Oh, so well said. It is therapy and it is a comfort and it is still a uniter for so many families. How else has it kept you grounded and you feeling safe? You know, some of my girlfriends who are like also, you know, very successful in their careers and on the home front are like, can you stop with your Martha Stewart BS (laughs) cooking while you're working and parenting? And I'm like, I swear to you, it's for my own benefit. Usually it happens after the kids are asleep or early in the morning. It's literally my therapy. It's like, it's therapeutic. It's kind of my like creative expression too. Um, I love it. Yes. Some days and some weeks I'm like, forget this. I have no inspiration. Like painters, you know, I, I'm not going to be cooking for a week. I've got no inspiration around it and I've got no ideas and I'm I'm burnt on that front. So there are days and and weeks where that happens. It's also a sort of family cultural tradition to love to be in the kitchen, cooking food, people around a table. That's just like highest joy point is like people I love around a table, friends, family around food that I've prepared or that someone else has prepared. Um, That's like my peak joy moment. So However, I can contribute to that is big for me and overlapping my mentor, my father and food around a table. It was just a holiday and we were on Zoom, unfortunately. But my youngest daughter was saying, but why do we always have to have dinner on Friday nights together? Sometimes we don't want to sit. And um, so my father answered the question and told her why. It was obviously there was some religion and traditional piece to it, but also just the importance of taking a moment, sitting around a table, disconnecting from everything else. And then more importantly, he was like, this is where the information is exchanged. You just asked me that you would have never known if we didn't have this, you know, seating around the table. And so it's twofold. It's like the therapy and the enjoyment and the culture around the food, but it's also a mindful practice to connect with whoever is in your family unit, whether it's your partner or your family, just to put everything else aside and come together. And I'm really strict with that, actually. Some of my people that know me are like, you're a little bit over-disciplined with that, but it's just, it's one thing that there's like, it's not negotiable in my house. We sit together for dinner almost every day. Definitely, it's held us together in some ways. Mm. That piece is so important what you've just shared about the sacred space and the safety that you're upholding in your day-to-day about sitting around a table. And as your father so eloquently put it, it's an exchange of information that keeps you connected. The simplicity, but the importance of that is so profound. So thank you for that because it's refreshing to know it's still happening. I also feel it imperative to bring up a post you made lately on Instagram, which was your favoring of simpler meals as of late. Totally. And I just thought that was so gentle and such a breath of fresh air that you were favoring that level of simplicity and you gave yourself and as a result, all of us permission to do that. And it was funny because I know you said your friends had been teasing you about your Martha Stewart productions, but then this really felt like something you were allowing for yourself. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that and recognizing that. It's also reminding me, too. And most of my meals, by the way, are not so complex. 
like some of the late night baking. Okay. But that's like a random recipe from my great aunt that like would take a couple hours in measurements, but the meals are, they don't have to be complex. I think like you just said, it's the sacred space of just sitting around the table. And sometimes I'll even post the frozen meals I pull out of the freezer, but we're still sitting around the table together. Um, and I think it's also, you know, a couple of years ago when I was much deeper in the forced, self-enforced rat race. And, you know, my husband and I were both kind of head down, just evenings, you know, accessible to clients, events, and not so present. I I really started craving that again. And, and now doing it and seeing how important it is, and it doesn't shift the productivity I'm not losing any business. If anything, I'm getting more. It's what you put intention to. Um, you know, I just did this program with this incredible um, friend and entrepreneur, fellow entrepreneur from Vancouver called Nature of Work. And it's just kind of like a six to eight week program about setting intention with your time and focus blocks and whatnot. And one of the biggest takeaways was this sort of deep rest disconnection from everything work-related in the middle of the day, not late at night or not on the weekends. We, we spoke about that a little bit, but just how much it just brings you closer to what's important then you can still be productive. I think we often block out the full day for just work activities and it's actually productive to just disconnect a little bit and have some rest and moments. So I feel like we need to repeat that to really drive the message home. Let's say it again, midday disconnect, midday disconnect. That is so powerful. Mo, you're such a coach. She's a coach, people. I tell you, it's clear in her mindset. I'm challenging you now, Alex, to take a midday break. (laughs) I try. I really do. I really do, but not hard enough. It's tough. I know. It's really tough. It's not a habit that's easy, especially when you're used to working straight through lunch and not taking any breaks and feeling guilty for taking breaks. It's so very unhealthy. But, you know, again, it's the pandemic. We're all working from home and it's it's tough. And we don't don't have those transition periods anymore, like the drive to work or the 10-minute drive to your client or the 10 minutes to get the groceries before the kids or those transition periods are missing and it's having a huge impact on me at least like the other day I I went to visit a client in the West Island and we've been doing everything by zoom but he was like just come we'll have a coffee outside the office and the drive home was like this is incredible I can listen to my music again so like how can we create those transition times again um because I think a lot of the creativity and spaciousness happens there, hmm. you know? Um, oh, wow. That is so serendipitous to hear you say that, Mo. I am reading The Future of Coaching by Hedy Einzig, and the author says, slow is the new fast. Mm-hmm. Less Enjoying less siloed practice and more integration of mindfulness in every activity. So enjoying the spaces between activity will inevitably infuse your actual activity with much more meaning. So... It's so interesting to hear you say those transition periods are so valuable. They are because they mm-hmm. they foster creativity and they allow for rest and they really do infuse your much more operational, if you will, or high level activity with meaning. So I just thought it was very 
interesting and apropos that you brought up your the transition points between activity. Very, very interesting. And like the digestion of everything. We need to digest, sift, you know, and then move on. So we're like, like you just said, we're constantly from one thing to the next. And, you know, I had my, I had a coaching session last week with my coach and he could tell that I had come right in from a meeting. Like it was like 12 finish, 12 click into zoom. And he was like, you're always preaching your moments and times. And we just did a three minute deep breath check in together you know, I offer with a lot of my clients at the start of the sessions, if, if that's what, you know, floats their boat or if they need to just disconnect. But I think it can be as simple as that, even throughout the day, just doing a three minute deep breath, check in, whatever body scan, whether you're more somatic, I think those little, little check-ins that we can try and incorporate are immensely helpful. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's a gift, Mo, to be able to provide that to to others, to your clients, the ability to remind them to give themselves permission to take that deep breath and regroup. I can't believe it's it's quite something that humanity has to be reminded to take the deep breath. So that's inspirational to me. And because you are such an inspiration to me and such a sparkly human, uh, we talked about mentors, your dad being a mentor to you. Who, who else, who inspires you to, to be who you are? Well, I already brought up my father for sure. He's been a mentor in the literal sense. I've, I've always gone to him for business advice and for um, some of the bigger decisions in my life. Um, I'm lucky and blessed to be surrounded by a wonderful tight family. You know, my sister, my brother, my mom, and my father, who have all sort of supported me in in different ways. Um, But for sure, when we talk about mentor, it's my father. He can come with a sort of non-judgmental, unbiased perspective that's both loving, but also business-centered. And so I've always gone to him to bounce some big decisions in my life. And I still do. You know, I have a coach and I've had a great therapist and I have incredible friends and and my sister is like my, my, my manifester. Um, but he's, he's my mentor for sure. He, and he would, I mean, I'm going to share this with him because he's so out of the whole media, social media, any kind of space, but, um, really just incredible resource for me. Hmm. I want to give that the space and the honor that that deserves. That's beautiful. Thank you, Mo, for for sharing that. Your dad, uh, I'm sure, is quite proud of you. So I would love to know, what are you most excited for in the future, for things to come? Well, I'm definitely just so inspired by the coaching work that I'm doing and that I'm embarking on this journey. Um, Definitely scary, but I, I love a little bit of fear. It always pushes us out of our comfort zone. So I'm really excited to embark on this journey and it's already begun. And you know, when things just start falling into place, you know, when it feels natural and that just makes it feel more concrete for me. So I'm stoked and a little bonus to be doing it alongside you. So, um, 
you know, just the people I've met and, you know, the connection that we had from day one was kind of surreal. Um, but now it's, I see why it was there. Um, I have to tell you, it's a rare moment in a person's life where the, the connection happens really quickly and it's natural. Mm. There's no element of force. I mean, Mo, you are incredibly successful. There could have easily been that intimidation factor, but by the same token, you also exude this warmth and authenticity when you speak and you create this safety. So I don't know. It was, I don't know. I had to do it. There was something compelling me and telling me, Alex, if you don't reach out to Moran, you will regret it. So thank you, Mo. I'm so happy you did reach out. And then I love that word warmth. I think that's, that's the energy between us has always been warm. And I love that. And, and I, and it's, it is sacred. It is so sacred. Mo, I'm actually internally laughing because we, we're so gushy. We're, we're so gushy. I'm loving it. This is gushier than I thought. I like prepared some technical answers. I didn't even look at them. It's just coming from the heart, the light heart. Let's just try and stay light. Yes. Full circle. Keeping it lighthearted like your intention for 2021. Thank you for being on, Mo. My pleasure. Thank you. What a joy. I'm so stoked to hear all the rest of your awesome guests this year. Come back whenever you want. Oh, I'll be back. Sometimes I have to pinch myself to remind myself that I have this kind of a platform. I feel so blessed. Mo, thank you for being on the show. I can't wait to watch your journey as a gifted coach unfolds. Also grateful to you as a listener for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and reminding you to be kind to yourself and that you're powerful and strong. I will talk to you next week. Bye.